I want to start out by asking a couple questions. Have you ever listened and not heard? Looked and not seen? Um, If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about as far as the hearing and not hearing. You know, you get preoccupied, you got something else going on, your wife says something, your husband says something, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She asks you about two seconds afterwards what she said, and you're like, I don't know. How many of you remember all of your algebra from either grade school, high school, college? Well, you could, teachers, you teachers, you guys. <laughs> How about American history? Huh? All the stuff we learned in American history. You see, you can go through an entire class, right? And when it's over with, you can miss half of what's going on. Paul is addressing his his kinsmen. He's addressing his fellow Jewish people that he wants so desperately to see them to come to know Jesus Christ, to give their hearts and their lives to the Lord. And... Well, he's going to do a much better job explaining this than I am, but just to set it up, it's kind of a continuation, if you will, of chapter 9, and uh, I'm going to give you just a a couple scriptures from chapter 9 to set this up. So if you look at Romans 9, verses 1 through 4, we'll do a little recap here. The Apostle Paul says, I tell you the truth, and I tell you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying, my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from God for my brethren. We talked about that last week, about how we wouldn't be very uh, quick to give up our salvation for anyone. We might for a family member, We might for someone very special in our life, but just to throw it out and say, hey, I would give up my salvation for you guys to know Jesus Christ. So you know his heart. You know his heart is deeply in love with his people. You also know that it's deeply in love with the Lord, and he wants so desperately for them to come to know the Lord. If you have anyone in your family that doesn't know Jesus, your heart aches for that too. You probably pray for them every single night or as often as the Holy Spirit puts that on your heart, you pray for them because you know how significant and how important that is. So he goes on to say, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, for my countrymen according to the flesh who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. So he kind of takes the, the whole Jewish history, if you will, from, from just believing in Jehovah, uh, uh, by, by Jehovah alone, not Jesus Christ, not the, as the Messiah yet, but believing in Jehovah, having all the promises of God, having the services of God, meaning the temple work that was going on and everything else, all of that put together. He's saying that, he's going to say, even having all of that, you still missed him. We can sit in church. I'm sure that there's churches full across the country, across the world, that will listen and not hear. The message will go out. The work has been done by Jesus Christ. And they will listen, but they won't hear. I was one of those. Maybe you were too. 
Maybe you spent some time in church, whether it was voluntary or because you felt pressured to go to church, but you heard it. But when it came to that final step, couldn't do it. Just couldn't make that connection. All right. So, burdened by his kingsmen, what so desperately for them to come to know the Lord. He goes, you know, just being Jew, just being a Jew, just being Jewish, just having all of those promises. Now look, guys, just because we have all of these promises doesn't mean we're saved. Just because we, Jesus has already gone to the cross, he's fulfilled it all, just because he's done it all, just because he took our sins upon himself, it doesn't mean that we're saved. Because you see, we can read this as a non-believer. I did. Not a lot, but I read some. Enough so I could just argue with people about it. We can read this and not be saved. He's saying to his countrymen, he's saying even with all of the, the covenants, even with all of the adoption, even with all the glory and all the serving in the temple, all of those promises, even with that, you, you still missed it. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning and let, and let that kind of ruminate in your head a little bit. Have you heard it all but missed it? I hear people from time to time say, well, I don't go to church because I've heard it all. You know, I've heard that passage before, or I've heard this before, I've heard that before. But that's not the answer, is it? Hearing it's really not the answer. Excuse me, let me grab a drink of water here. Hearing it's not the answer. The answer is what you do with it. What, what have you done with what you've heard? Has it sunk into your heart? That's what Paul's going for. He's going, it's not in the hoops. It's in the heart. It's not in the religion. It's in the heart. It's not whether you go to Calvary Chapel or whether you go to another church. It's in the heart. That's where the root is, is in the heart. If it's not there, it's meaningless. It's just a rite. It's just a ritual. It's just a hoop we jump through on Sundays or midweek or whatever it is. But if it's not in the heart, it's just simply not there. Now, they're going to ask him. Paul, Paul knows. He knows his people, right? And he's going, he anticipates almost everything that they're going to ask or their objections that they're going to have. And I want to remind you of Romans 9, 32 and 33. He says, why? Why? Why did you miss it? He says, because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. Trying to be good enough. Trying to read all of those things that they were supposed to be doing and then realizing they're not doing most of them. Because they were trying to obtain it by the law instead of by faith. It says, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, the rock of offense, and whoever believes on him shall not be put to shame. Jesus is either that rock that finally breaks our will, not, not in a bad way, in a good way, that stubborn pride that we all have. He's either that rock when we finally let him in, or he's that stumbling stone ever got up in the middle of the night and hit the doorpost or the bedpost and that little toe, you know? How do you feel the next couple of days? That little member, right? 
It's got you crippled up for the next week. Here's the thing. Jesus Christ is a stumbling stone for most people. You can mention almost any of the other little gods and nobody will say a word. You can say you're enlightened. You can say you're spiritual. You can say almost anything. You can say you're a Satanist. And most people won't say a word. But if you mention Jesus Christ, everybody goes nuts. Why? Why is he the only one that everybody goes crazy about when you mention his name? Even Christians out in public, a lot of times we will kind of uh, be careful about how we present Jesus because we're afraid that if we say it, we're going to just get rejected. So we're very, very careful. But we either let him crush that pride or he becomes that stone, that rock of offense that which will keep us or can keep us out of eternity. Now, I know I'm speaking to mostly born-again believers here, but there may be some that don't know Jesus Christ. They haven't given their life to Jesus Christ. And it's that, it's that stone, if you will, that when it finally comes to the end of any pastor's service, at the end when he invites them to come to Jesus Christ, is that war going on inside if I, if I give him my heart, I'll have to quit going to the bars. If I give him my, my heart, I'll have to quit drinking. If I give him my heart, I'll have to quit smoking dope. If I give him my, my heart, I'll have to quit. That rock of offense. Now, if you love Jesus, that's almost offensive to even say that, isn't it? Because you love him. But they missed him. With all the covenants, with all the preparation, with all of everything, they missed him. The religious caste at the time, they were supposed to be ushering Jesus in, right? They were supposed to have everything ready so that when Messiah come, people would say, the Messiah is here. But instead, they became offensive to people. Many people would look at them and say, if you're the example of what it means to know God, I don't want to know it. If it's all just splash, if it's all just pretense, if it's all just in the robes and the way that you dress and the way you demand respect, if it's all, we don't want any part of it. And you can't blame them. Father, may you have your hand upon us this morning, our hearts, our minds, the distractions. And Father, I pray that as Paul is praying to his kinsmen, his, his brethren, wanting so much for them to understand how they missed it, if we are Christians, help us to know, understand that there's so many people around us that still don't know who Jesus is. So many around us that have not given their heart to you as Lord and Savior. So Father, may we, Christian or not, may we listen to what Paul has to say. May we apply it to our lives as to how you would want it to affect us today, tomorrow, next week. Father, we know that there's a war going on. 
We know that if you strip it all down, it's a war between good and evil, between righteousness and unrighteousness. And Father, we also know and pray that you would come quickly. But there's so much work still to be done. Open our eyes, Lord, and open our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Look at Romans 10, 1. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. You have anyone like that in your life? Now, let's open it up a little. We can apply it to an individual and say, well, yeah, I have someone in my life, but how about the city of Glendale? He's praying for all of his brethren. How about the city of Glendale? How about the city of Peoria? How about the city of Phoenix? How about the state of Arizona? Do we have that burden? You see, here's the tendency. In tough times, we have a tendency to withdraw. We become very introspective. And instead of having a global view, we have a, we have a family view, right? It's me and mine. I want to make sure that they're safe. I want, that's not a bad thing. I'm not criticizing that. That's a, that's a good thing. But sometimes what happens is we pull in so far that it's just me and mine, my four, no more. We forget there's just people all around us that don't know the Lord. We forget that we're evangelists. We forget that the only way people are going to hear is from God's children. And we got to make sure that we continue to preach that gospel. All of us, we need to do that. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer is that God for Israel is that they may be saved. I get that. There's still people in my family that are not saved. Probably yours also. Now, he's going to explain that he can identify, that he can relate, and he can uh, know that, because they're probably saying, but what do you know, Paul? And he's saying, I know. I know the Jewish faith. I am one. I grew up in it, educated in it. I know that you don't know the Lord personally. Look at verse two. He says, for I bear them witness they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Here's the question for you and me. Have we lost our zeal? You know what zeal is, right? He's so excited about something that it keeps you up at night. Remember when you were a kid and Christmas was the next day? That zeal, that excitement, that, that joy in your heart thinking, man, I can't wait for tomorrow morning. Maybe you bought a house. You get the keys, right? The next day is the, you get the keys to that new house. You're so excited about it that it might keep you up. Or a new car. Any of those things. We have that zeal, that excitement of what's going on. The zeal that makes us open our mouth for Jesus. That makes us tell people about Jesus whether they laugh at us or not. Whether the deplorables or the idiots or the stupid people, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks of us. It doesn't matter if they reject us because it's Jesus that they're rejecting. But we gotta keep going. 
We gotta keep witnessing. We gotta keep telling people about Jesus Christ. How much time do we have left? Does anyone know? We don't know. We don't know. So, Paul, as a Pharisee, he knew what zeal was. (laughs) He might remember some of his history, right? He knew exactly what zeal was. You may remember that Paul thought he was doing God a favor. He He thought he was on a mission from God, and what was he doing? Persecuting and killing Christians. Wow. I'm on a mission from God because I'm, I'm wrangling up all of these believers in Jesus Christ because they go against my faith as a Jew. They're heretics. They need to be done away with. Guys, we are seeing a little bit of that now. We'll see a lot more of it. You being a Christian is a threat Because you have hope. Because you have eternity. Because you're not as easily manipulated and you're not as easily gullible as everyone else out there. Why? Because hopefully this is your news source. It's getting very, very hard to find any news source that's unbiased. On either side, to be honest with you. But it's getting hard to find an unbiased news source. This has to be our news source. That is a threat. It was a threat to the Jews then. It's a threat to our world now. Now here was Saul. Here's how he can relate and why he can relate. Back in Acts 8, 3, it says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering into every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. You stereotype, you typecast, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Let me give you an example. When somebody mentions an Arab, what's your first thought? How do you typecast? Not all Arabs are bad. Not all Arabs believe the way most Arabs believe. In fact, there's Christians there. So they just burst into the house. He takes out any man or woman that it's been said that they're Christians. Guys, I don't know if you've been watching some of the news, but that's starting to happen. That's starting to happen. Now, I'm, I'm not going to do a, a, a pro-gun or against gun. I happen to be for the Second Amendment. So if that offends anyone, I'm sorry. But I believe in the Constitution. And I believe that was given for us to protect us. But here's the thing. Um, they now have a, a law that's passed in some places, working on being passed to where if your neighbor, if your neighbor doesn't like you, and they say, um, he's got guns in his house. She's got guns, I've seen them. They're going to have the right to come to your house and confiscate your guns. No law, no, I mean, no trial, no nothing. No way to get them back. Now, is that law in all of America? No, but it's common. 
It's coming. It's going to be there. And, and guys, I don't know, back to American history, but that was put there to protect us from the government. Now, I really hope that all the criminals get that memo because they'll take, you know, they'll take all of their guns too and we'll all be safe, right? Come on, we know that if you're a criminal and you want a gun, you're going to find a gun, right? That, that's going to happen. And some of the stuff that's being propagated and told and said, it's just false. It's, it's false information. So, again, here's Saul. He's one of those guys. He's one of the hitmen for the Pharisees. Going out and taking people and putting them in prison. He knows what zeal is. He knows what zeal is. He says, you guys have a lot of zeal, but you just haven't found the way to salvation. Look at verse three. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to excuse me, establish their own righteousness. Let me go back so I don't stumble on that. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Now, ignorant, a lot of times when we see it in the word of God, it doesn't mean you're like, you're stupid. Like we would interpret that. It means you haven't learned. You're uneducated in this thing. So he's, he's not going, uh, I mean, he's, he's going to be rough on him, but he's not insulting him right here. He says, for being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish righteousness on their own, they have submitted to, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Now, that is a uh, definition of religion. That's what religion does. Religion tells you you have a bunch of hoops to jump through and if you miss them, God's not happy with you. In fact, if you miss them, you're, you could be uh, in danger of hellfire. And so you have to be good. And then at the end, the good will be weighed with the bad and let's face it, if that's the case, most of us, we know where we're going. And he's saying you're trying to establish your righteousness by works, by jumping through hoops. It doesn't happen that way. He says, that puts it on you instead of the righteousness of God. He says, you're forgetting the righteousness of God. You haven't submitted to the righteousness of God. A Christian's righteousness is based on faith in the Lord, and even that faith is given by the Lord. You can't can't take that out. Because that's what they had done. They had taken that out. Human effort won't get you and I to heaven. Because there's no way you and I can be good enough. And as you guys have heard us say many, many times, Timothy says if you break one, you break them all. If you break one, you're guilty of all of them. It's hard for people to understand that we are by nature's sinners. But if you put it in the terms of missing the bullseye, an archery term, right? By sinner, we miss the bullseye. The bullseye is Jesus, and by, by, by nature, we just miss him because we're too stubborn and prideful. If I do a good job, I'm righteous. If I don't, I'm not. And that's why so many people live in guilt. I even see a lot of Christians who live in guilt. Now, what do I mean by that? Some of you came from a very strict background where you jump through these hoops. 
And if you messed up, you had to confess it all the time. And you were in there confessing it all the time because you couldn't jump through the hoops. So it made you feel guilty all of the time. And I think sometimes with with us as Christians, we can mix up this whole thing of works and grace. I think that faith causes us to love the Lord enough that our zeal is there and we find ourselves doing things for him, through him, and with him because we now have the Holy Spirit residing in us. It's not because we have to, it's because we get to. There's, not, there's no more joy in the world than doing something because you get to do it, because you love doing it, because it's a part of your life. And if we look at Christianity, we go, it's a, it's a chore, Something's wrong. If we look at being faithful in the things of God and we think it's a burden, something's wrong in the relationship. And I would like to say I think every single one of us has been at that place at one time or another. But usually when that's the case, our thinking is wrong. Something has come into our life to readjust us from what this says to whatever going on in here. This is a dangerous place to be sometimes. And when we start feeling like that, we need to pull this out. And we need to get realigned with God's heart and with God's mind. Paul is trying to say, Jesus put an end to that. Look at verse 10. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. It's important that we put that in there that way. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He didn't say completely the end of the law. Well, what am I saying by that? Well, let me let the Bible explain it. Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to what? What does it mean to fulfill something? Complete it. It is finished. Right? It is finished. It is fulfilled. Don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill for assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will by no means pass away from the law until it is fulfilled. Now that means a crossing of the I or uh, the dotting of an I or a crossing of a T. You don't usually cross your I's and dot your T's, but you know what I mean. That means every single bit of it will be fulfilled. It is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So we don't throw out the Old Testament because Jesus fulfilled it. We just see it all in him. That's what Paul's trying to say. You don't have to throw it all away. It's been fulfilled. You've been looking for the Messiah. He came and you missed him. He's there. It's been fulfilled. It's done. It's taken care of. He is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Believes what? Well, not just anything. He's going to get to that too. For, for the believer, the law has been completed 
in Jesus Christ. We don't throw it away. We sift it all through Jesus Christ. We sift it all through the cross. Now, look at verse five through 10. It says, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. He's quoting what Moses has said to them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near to you in your mouth and in your People think they gotta go to some far east somewhere and study under a monk. Or they've gotta go study here, or they've gotta go study there, they gotta read, they gotta find God when he's right here. That's what he's trying to say. And then he says, that is the word of faith which we preach. Look at verse nine. Here it is. This is extremely important. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Pretty simple, huh? I like simple. I like simple. That way I can stay out of my head. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now I'm going to give you what Paul is referencing here. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through about 14. It says, for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. Is it not in heaven that you should say? Excuse me, it is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to the heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it back to us that we may hear it and do it. Verse 14, but the word is very near to you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart that you may do it. You see, that's why they couldn't do all the do's and the don'ts. That was to show them they couldn't do all the do's and the don'ts. There is this weakness in humanity called sin, missing the mark, the flesh. And now he's saying by faith, God enters your heart. By believing in Jesus Christ, God enters your heart. You don't have to go to some faraway place to find God anymore. You can find him wherever you are because Jesus resides in your heart. What a cool deal. What a wonderful thing that God has arranged it in such a way that he knows we can't do it on our own. The Christian faith was never meant to live on our own. It's meant to live in communion with Jesus Christ. And it's meant to live in communion with each other encouraging each other, hearing the word of God, teaching, loving, caring about each other. Now, I know you guys have heard me say this before, but sometimes a hug from someone can make all the difference in the world. 
Just someone who genuinely gives you a hug and says, man, I love you. That can make all the difference, especially when you know it's real and you know that it's honest. God is what does that. God is the one that changes that in us. So what Paul is saying is that it's written down, guys. He's telling his brethren, it's written down. You're without excuse because it's written down. You have it all written. It's right in front of you. But all you need to do is you need to do it. You need to act upon it. If you'll hide it in your heart and practice it, it will become a part of you. I would say that many of you sitting here this morning as Christians, you've changed. You're not the same person you used to be. You don't think the same way that you used to think. Your, your group think, if you will, is tied to this. Not to the latest broadcast or the latest news or the latest whatever is going on in the world but it's tied to our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. So Paul is telling them righteousness is by faith. Even back in Deuteronomy, he takes them back to the Old Testament. He says, even there in Deuteronomy, it's telling you how to get saved and what you need to do. We don't have to ascend to any place. We don't have to descend to anybody and we don't have to travel to find it. It's in our hearts. So the question is, this morning is, have you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord? Have you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? If you have, Paul's saying that if you truly have done that, and it's a heart issue, not just a hoop issue, it's a heart issue. If you have, you shall be saved. Now please know and understand we can't fool God. We can fool our parents. We can fool a lot of people a lot of time. But God knows. But if that true conversion has gone on in our life we shall be saved. Okay look at verses 11 through 13. For the scripture says Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich in all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now I'm sure they started getting mad. (laughs) I'm sure they started getting mad because as you know, Jews had a very derogatory view of any Gentile. They wouldn't eat with them. They wouldn't have much of anything to do with them. In fact, in many cases, referred to them as Gentile dogs. So to say that they could be saved, that's a big one. I've shared with you guys before that I grew up in, a, in an alcoholic family and my mom um, hated my dad. I mean, I could put it a softer way, but it was pretty much, pretty much it. And I can't say he didn't deserve it, because he did, but we understand as Christians we're supposed to forgive, but my mom hadn't reached that, not until much later in her life. And uh, 
when we began to explain to her that if my dad accepted Jesus Christ, the last minute of his life, if he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, that he would be in heaven. (laughs) No way. This is probably the same attitude these guys had. No way. There's no way that man would ever be in heaven. Not after what he did to me. Not after what he did to our family. Not what... Well, it's a good thing, Mom, you're not the one that makes that decision. It's a good thing that you don't make that decision. And I would imagine for them, this is what they're feeling right now. No, not the Gentiles. Gentile can't be saved. We're the ones with all the promises. We're the ones with all the hope. We're the ones that have been entrusted to the temple worship. We have all the covenants. No. Not even in their scope that the Gentiles could be saved. Now, he's going to turn around and he's going to tell us, how do people get saved? What's the steps? Look at verse 14. He goes, now how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How do people come to know Jesus Christ? How did you come to know Jesus Christ? Did someone risk your friendship by telling you about Jesus? Was someone bold enough to tell you about Jesus Christ that even if you got mad at them, they loved you enough to tell you about Jesus Christ? That was certainly the case for me. There was a couple people in high school that kind of planted that seed for me. And even earlier than that, when I went to vacation Bible school and I would hear some of the stuff about Jesus, those seeds were planted. Someone took the time to plant those seeds in my heart. And those seeds blossomed. They grew, but because somebody cared enough to get outside of their circle and tell me, Someone got outside of their comfort zone and told me about Jesus Christ. And I'm betting for most of you that was the case also. So how shall they call upon him? Those who have not believed, how shall they know? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You're the preacher's. Me too, but not in this formal setting. As a Christian, we're all preachers. We've all been called to this great commission. We've all been called to share Jesus Christ with whomever we possibly can. I mean, simple math, guys. If I share Jesus with people throughout my whole life, it's not even gonna be close to where if this entire congregation shares Jesus with people their whole life. That's the spreading of the gospel. Now, how can you know that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved if no one cares enough to tell you? Somebody has to tell you. Somebody has to tell you that it's necessary. And my guess is if you're like me and someone first kind of planted that in your heart, It was such a strange concept that you're like, I'm a good person. You just think you're self-righteous, right? Isn't that kind of the response we had at first? 
Who, who do you think you are telling me that I need God, but you're so pious that you have him? I know that that was my attitude when it was first told to me that I needed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that I would not enter into heaven if I didn't. And I was mad. I was mad. Many of you know that that happened during our premarital counseling. And I was so angry. Well, I won't go into that, but I was upset. I didn't want to go back to this guy. I didn't want to have any counseling. I wanted to just take off and go to Las Vegas somewhere. And I, you know, it's like, I don't care about this. Who does this guy think he is? But you know what? I couldn't get it out of my head. Because it wasn't just him that put it there. It was God that put it there. And I couldn't let it go. When he asked me, why should you go to heaven? I said, why not? (laughs) I'm a good guy. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't done anything. I try to help people when I can. He goes, well, that wouldn't get you there. And then that's when it started kicking in for me. It was like, who who are you to tell me I'm not going to get there? You're not God. Then he showed me nobody gets to the Father except through the Son, through Jesus Christ. And I couldn't let that go. got to be the mouthpiece this doesn't just mean you're Pastor John Pastor Dan or whatever church you go to Pastor so and so it's all of us that's the job of all of God's people look at verse 15 and how shall they preach unless they're sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things how shall they go unless they're sent how shall we get to people if we don't feel God sending us if we don't grasp this great commission and our heart doesn't break for those people who are going to hell to, be, to put it very plainly, they don't know Jesus Christ. Whether they're good people or they're bad people, that's not the determination that gets people into heaven. It's whether or not they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Many people that you and I think could never make it to heaven are going to be there when we get there. In fact, maybe even some of your friends will go, You're here? <laughs> I never thought in a million years you'd make it up here. (laughs) So how shall they preach unless they're sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So what does that mean? You might say, well, I'm, I'm shy. Well, thank God Jesus wasn't shy. Yeah, I was shy, but this is important. Where's the zeal? I mean, it may be a little more difficult for some people than it is other people to say, you need Jesus. But if the zeal is there, it will, it will prompt us to tell us. If we really love someone, how can we not tell them? If there's someone in our family that's lost, 
If we really love them, how can we not tell them about Jesus, even if they get mad at us? We have to tell them. You know, this beautiful feet thing, I thought this was kind of, uh, kind of funny, but, but good. John Corson said this. He said, a lot of people are unnecessarily depressed and discouraged, and the reason? They're not sharing the gospel. Thus, they end up self-absorbed, self-focused. Another translation renders this verse, how lively are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. If you want to have beautiful feet, lively feet, happy feet, share the glorious good news of the gospel. John Corson. There is something about sharing your faith that just rejuvenates your faith. When you share about Jesus Christ, it's just, it's, it, it's, it's almost as though you're going, this is what I was born for. This is what I was created for because all the rest of it's going to burn. None of this other stuff around is going to matter. It's just not going to matter. But what I've done with Jesus, not for Jesus, but what I've done with Jesus is what's really going to maintain. It's what's going to stand. It's what's going to precede us into eternity. Look at verse 16 and 17. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. They have not all obeyed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So by faith, excuse me, so then by, excuse me, so then faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. How are they going to hear? How are they going to hear? It's one thing to turn on YouTube, stay home in your pajamas, listen to your favorite preacher no matter who he is or where he's at. It's easy to do that. But when you go share with a neighbor, that means more. That means a lot when you personally, when we personally are actively involved in the things of God. Am I saying that watching or listening to another pastor is bad? No, 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 I'm not. I'm just saying that when we are personally engaged, it doesn't just benefit the person that we're sharing with. It benefits us. It reminds us of how good God is. It reminds us of how much God has saved us from We're not the same people we used to be. We don't have the same goals. We don't have the same objectives. Our heart breaks for people that don't know Jesus Christ. We have to be careful that we don't just hole up. We've got to be careful. The gospel still has to be preached, and we're the ones that are going to preach it. If the gospel's got to be preached, it's not going to be preached by the world. It's going to be preached by God's kids. And we've got to be bold in that. So, Jesus has done the work. It's, it's already done. He said it is finished. I, I, it's completed. All you and I have to do is take those three little steps. But sometimes those three little steps can feel like trying to cross the Grand Canyon, right? Now Paul's going to bring all of this around to where he started with his brethren. Look at verse 18. But I say, have they not heard? Because you know they're going to say, well, we haven't heard this. 
He's going to say, uh, he says, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the world and their words to the ends of the world quoting again the word. In verse 19 it says, but I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. (laughs) Kind of like raising kids, huh? We're all God's kids. But sometimes we are disobedient and contrary. Before we gave our hearts to Jesus Christ, we might have been blaming it on, well, I didn't know better. These guys, he knows what they're going to say. He knows what their objections are going to be. And he's saying, guys, you knew better. It was in your own word. Throughout the promises of God were there. He says, I'm going to raise up a nation. Guess what? That's, that's the Gentiles. He says, you, you won't listen, but the Gentiles will listen. I'm going to take it to the Gentiles. And notice he says, I'm going to provoke you to jealousy by a nation that was not a nation. I'm going to move you to anger by a foolish nation. Why? Because he wants them to know Jesus. He wants them to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, as God's kids, if you've received Jesus Christ, let us not be disobedient and contrary people. May we be able to say, God, thy will be done. Guys, that's a hard prayer. I don't care what anybody says, that's one of the hardest ones you'll ever face. I'm not talking about when you're on the mountaintop. God, let thy will be done. Yes. I'm talking about in the deepest valley that you've ever been in to say, Father, thy will be done. But I don't want them to die. But I don't want to lose my house. But I don't want to lose my car. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to... To say, Father, thy will be done in the middle of that is the hardest thing you and I will ever do as Christians. But it's the only place that's safe. It's the only place that's right. Because in that deepest pit that we're in, we can't afford to be wrong. And the scripture tells us our heart is deceitfully wicked. When you and I want something so badly, we want to control it. We want to control the outcome. So the odds are pretty good. We're going to make a decision that's maybe not the best decision. And the only safe place is to say, Jesus, your will be done. 
That means letting go. That's not easy, guys. I'm not going to stand here and tell you it's easy. And I'm not going to tell you that I've got that mastered. I'd be a bucket of tears like everybody else. But we do have the faith to know that that's not the end. We do have the faith to know that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. We do have the faith to know that He wins. We also have the faith to know that we'll see Him again if we've lost somebody. We'll see Him again. And I'm not saying that that doesn't fill the loneliness or that does fill the loneliness. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying at least we have hope to know that it's not over. Paul wants so much to see his brothers and sisters know Jesus Christ, to be able to get out of that bondage and to know that it's all, all of those promises were fulfilled in Jesus. And God put it on the shelf where we can all reach it. So, salvation does not simply mean hearing. That's just one of the steps. Remember when I asked at the beginning how many of us could remember hearing but not hearing? We do that pretty often. Selective hearing. So it's not simply in the hearing, but it's doing the other steps. Accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Whatever you decide to do with Jesus will affect your eternity. I didn't write that. I'm not smart enough. Jesus wrote that. God wrote that. It's throughout his word. So, confess, believe, save three simple steps by the way God hasn't given up on his people God hasn't given up on Israel and he's going to explain that in the next chapter but if he hasn't given up on Israel he sure hasn't given up on us hasn't given up on your mom or your dad or your aunt or your uncle or your friend or your brother hasn't given up so don't give up he hasn't given up on our world so let's not give up. He hasn't given up on your neighbors, so let's not give up. And guys, I realize these times are really weird, aren't they? Strange times. And I understand the desire for all of us just to make sure everybody that we love is as much as we... It's kind of foolish to think about it because we can't protect anybody anyway, right? We really can't. But the natural tendency is... To, to bring that in. That's a, I think that's a survival instinct that we have. That's, that's natural to do that. But let's not forget that the world is dying around us. We've got so many people that are so messed up in the world that they can't even... We're afraid to tell them because that means you're a hater. That means you're not woke. That means that you're not smart. That means that you're a bigot. That means that you're prejudiced. That means that you're all kinds of stuff. But let's not be afraid. And let's not forget to continue to reach out to those that need the Lord. Let's pray. Father, your word is just wonderful. Not only did you put
your heart into everything. You're God. You could have shouted this from a star somewhere, but you came to earth and you gave your life as a ransom for us to forgive us that we might have eternal life, that we might know and understand we don't have to jump through the hoops anymore. We just need to trust in Jesus and live in Jesus.